So forgiving others, man, what a massive, massive topic, right? Um, I've got to be honest with you, sometimes as preachers, we come across topics because we preach exegetically and we go through scripture systematically. We come across topics that uh, we battle with ourselves Um, and uh, we have to preach on it because we have to be faithful to God's word. But I want to tell you tonight that I'm raising my hands up here and saying I'm not good at this. Uh, this is certainly not a great skill of mine. Um, and another thing that happens as, as preachers is sometimes you, as you're preparing your sermon, you feel so convicted that this is truth, that this is what God wants us to do as believers, and then God tests you in that. Um, and no different has been that for me this week, as I've had to, uh, God has tested my resolve whether or not I believe forgiving others is a really good thing to do. And, and may I say to you that it is extremely, extremely difficult Forgiving others is really, really hard. And as I look across this room this evening, I know for certain that there are those of you who have experienced far greater things and sins against you than I have in my life. Um, And I I know that I kind of even feel a little embarrassed as I know some of your stories, and yet I would uh, hold on to my little sin that has been done against me with so much vigor and not wanting to let it go. Um, But the challenge that we have as Christians and in this commandment by Christ is that we need to uh, forgive others. Now, what happens often is when we struggle with lots of forgiveness towards others, and we've been sinned against greatly, which certainly does happen, is when we hear commands like this by Jesus, we just assume that he means other people's sins against them rather than our own. Because ours is big, ours is great, ours is unique. And so Jesus kind of understands the challenge to, to, um, to it, and he's not expecting us to do that. He might expect the smaller sins than other people's, but certainly not ours. However, Christ is a lot more smarter than sometimes we give him credit for. And he knows exactly our hearts, and he knows exactly that we would downplay this commandment from him when he says, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So he goes and he makes a double emphasis here to just make sure that we get that he's being serious. Firstly, we see that he says, as we have already forgiven our debtors. Do you notice it's past tense? His his assumption is, as as you come to ask for your forgiveness as believers, that you would have already forgiven those who have sinned against you. And on top of that, he goes with the double emphasis that he says it, and immediately after this prayer, he goes and emphasizes this point. He doesn't do that with any other because he knows this is the one we are going to find loopholes in. And he goes, and let me read again. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so Jesus places that emphasis just to make sure you know, he's being deadly serious. And we see this in other parts of Scripture as well. Galatians 1, Paul is writing the church, to the church of Galatia. They've been hit by false teaching, people trying to add the law back into and on top of the gospel. And Paul writes to them in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, and he says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. It's quite strong language, but Paul, realizing that people might say, ah, he was angry when he said that, he didn't really mean it, or ah, he's gone over the top, knowing that that would probably be the response, Paul double emphasizes it again, and he goes on to say, and as uh, we have said before, and now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
And so this is what Jesus is doing as well. He's making sure that we get that the mandate for us as Christians is to forgive. And it's not only found in these words by Jesus in Matthew 6, but we also see it throughout the gospel um, and throughout the, the New Testament. We see it in Ephesians 4 verse 32. We'll come back to this passage a little later. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3 verses 13 says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so our mandate is a challenging one. It's not just to forgive, but to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. It's, it's, he forgives us totally of all our sins. He, he does not forgive us and then display our sins for the world to see. He keeps it quiet. To an extent, the extent of it is quite wonderful with this imagery in Psalm 103 verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west... So far has, uh, has been removed our transgressions for us. It's wonderful imagery. As far as the east is from the way, it is endless. Our transgressions, our sins have been removed from us, from God. Oh, so the call as Christians is to totally, totally forgive. So maybe what's going to be helpful for us this evening is if we start and look at what do we mean by forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Because I think sometimes we have a, a bit of a skewed... Uh, it, understanding of forgiveness, and as a result, we either don't forgive properly or we just um, don't do it at all because we think it is something else than it actually is. So maybe let's start off with what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't uh, the approval of what they did to you. It isn't the approval of what they did to you. God never approves of sin. He hates sin. But yet he still forgives. We see this um, with uh, the story of the lady who committed adultery in John 8. He's, this lady is dragged before Christ. The Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. And they ask him what he, he must do. And, and a long story short, he forgives her. But at the end of it, he still says, go and sin no more. We, we do not have to approve of the sin that someone has done to us. But yet we are still called to forgive. Uh, forgiveness is not excusing what they did. It's not trying to cover up for them. It's not trying to justify, oh, their circumstances are like this, and that's why they have done that. It's not trying to excuse what they did. It's not justifying what they did. Justify means to make right. The Oxford Dictionary says it means to show, um, to be right or just or reasonable. We're not trying to do that when we forgive. And it's certainly not this. Um, Forgiveness is not pardoning what they did. Pardon is a legal transaction which releases the offender from its consequences. And that is why we would never ask someone who, has, uh, who is a rapist to get off scot-free. <laughs> we would expect that they pay their debt to society, and actually, in fact, society is protected from them. So it's not necessarily pardoning them so that they do not get the legal consequence that should come their way. Forgiveness is not all the time reconciliation. Now, while reconciliation should be the goal in most cases, it's certainly not an expectation in every case. Let me, give you, let me tell you why. Because um, sometimes well, reconciliation always consists of two people, right? So if my wife and I have a spat, I want to come and, and uh, ask for forgiveness from her. And, and I want reconciliation. I want, I've forgiven her. There's no bitterness in my heart. But if she doesn't want that, reconciliation can't happen. But forgiveness has taken place in my heart, yet she doesn't necessarily want that. Now, that's not the case at the moment. I'm just putting it out there. Things are good. Things are good. 
Um, but that's, it, all, it always consists of two people. Also, there might be a situation where actually it's a danger to your life if you reconcile with the person that has hurt you. And it would be unwise to have a reconciliation like it once was. Also, reconciliation might, when it does happen, could look very different. The, the sins against you have been great. The scars are deep, though they are there. And forgiveness has happened. That relationship might never be the same as it once was, though the relationship might be restored again. So we kind of see this with God as well, really. He, 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 he reconciles the world to himself, yet we as Christians call the world to be reconciled to him. And the reason why it doesn't always happen is because there's a party that chooses not to. So reconciliation is always a two-person thing. So it's not always required, though it should be the goal in most cases. Forgiveness is not denying what they did. It's not trying to pretend that it didn't happen. It's not repressing it. It's not um, trying to make it smaller than it actually is. In actual fact, when we understand the extent of what people have done to us, and yet we still choose to forgive, grace expounds even more. That's when total forgiveness happens. It doesn't really happen if we just try to pretend that it wasn't as big as it really is. Does that make sense? Good, because I can't explain that again. Um, forgiveness, and this is the last one of what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We often have that saying, forgive and forget. Um, but there are certain cases, and we don't understand what people mean when they say that, but there are certain cases where it is just an impossibility to forget. It's just an absolutely impossible for you to forgive. So that's not the requirement at all either. All right. So that's what forgiveness isn't. So what is forgiveness? Let's look at a few more examples. Forgiveness is being aware of what someone has done and yet still choosing to forgive. And, and I know we've kind of emphasized this already when talking about what forgiveness isn't, but it's, it is not um, excusing, it's not denying, it's not justifying, it's not trying to push it under the rug and pretend it didn't really happen, but it is understanding and seeing it in, at face value for what it really was, and yet still choosing not to punish the person for what they've done. And may I say that is exorbitantly, extremely, massively difficult to do. It is painful. It is something that is hard to do because it is difficult to kiss revenge goodbye. It is hard it's hard to do, but when we are able to achieve that, we've crossed over into the supernatural because it certainly isn't natural to forgive people. It's natural to hold on to the scribe. And we, when we do it, we become a lot like Christ when we forgive. Forgiveness is... A choice to keep no records of wrongs. We see this in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5. It says these words, um, love keeps no records of wrongs. The word love there is our, our favorite word for love, agape. It means, um, it means unconditional, irrevocable uh, love that is given and extended to others, even if it's not based on feeling. And in this case, love forgives. And what's important for us to understand then is that forgiveness sometimes happens even if you don't feel like it. In actual fact, most of the time when we forgive, it needs to be a choice even if you don't feel like it. It's an intentional decision based on will, not based on feeling. It is something that we have to choose to do, not something we have to feel first. Because if that's the case, we will never, ever get around to doing it. And this is a particular case. It says keep no records of wrongs. Why? When you, why do you keep records? So you can prove it later, right? 
And so have you ever, have you ever had it said before, oh, yeah, but do you remember when you did? Can you remember back then when you said, we keep those records? Why? It's usually because we've made a mistake and now we need to make them sure that they feel, realize that they're also bad. But it's there, we hold on to it. And really what, what, what uh, keeping our records is, is tearing that up. And when we tear those records up, we, we prevent resentment to reside in our hearts. The longer we keep the record, the longer resentment will sit in our hearts and the harder it will be to forgive. Now, I want to emphasize again, it's a decision and it's, a, it's something that's based on the will, not always based on feeling. And so it is going to be extremely difficult in the beginning because you're going to have to choose it. You're not going to want to feel it. But may I say that the longer it takes, the more you do it, the more you practice, the easier it will one day become. It might, depending on the sin, it might take a few weeks. Depending on the sin, it might take a few years, even decades, maybe never. But it's something that you have to choose to do. It's something that you have to choose to do. And it will become a lifestyle. And by God's grace, maybe it will be something that you start to want to do. Third thing that forgiveness is, is it's not telling people about what they did. Oh, man, this is hard. It's not telling people about what they did. Now, let me just caveat that quick, excuse me, quickly by saying that it is, it does, there are moments when we can tell people. We can tell the authorities, certainly, <laughs> depending on what it is. But we also can tell people as th- for therapeutic reasons. Sometimes it is good when something has happened to you to tell a, a spouse, a loved one, a close friend what has happened. May, may I suggest to you that that should be few, not many. It should not be tens of people. And we know that we are doing this wrong when our motive behind telling people is not for therapeutic reasons, but rather we want to break their name down. We want their reputation to be uh, broken down. We want people to know exactly what they're like. Oh man, if you knew them, you might think they're nice people. But if you just knew what they did, then you would know. Let me tell you. To mess up their future. When that's our motive, we are not in any place forgiving. Our motive must never, ever be to break them down. And if that's the case, keep your mouth shut. Hold it in. And when you do that, you are acting in forgiveness. Challenging, challenging stuff here. Forgiveness is being merciful. We see it in Matthew 5, verse 7. It says uh, these words, we've, we've preached on this before. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When we consider God and his character, there's two elements that we can pick out in his character. One is that, and they're, they're polar opposites to each other. One is just, uh, the justness of God, and the other is the mercy of God. Mercy means not giving someone what they deserve. So they deserve it, but you decide not to give it. Justice means giving them what they deserve in terms of punishment. And so how can God be both fully just and merciful at the same time? How can he wrestle with that? Well, we see it displayed properly in Christ. God will send his son Jesus to live the life that we could not live. He will then die on the cross and take our place and take our punishment upon him. And the wrath of God will be poured on him. And in that moment, the justness of God was satisfied. But where's the mercy coming in? Well, when we come to Christ for forgiveness and we are saved, God does not give us what we deserve because he gave it to Christ. And so that's how it's done. And so we called and commanded to, we see this in Luke 6, verse 36. It says, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. So we are, as people who forgive, are not to give those people what they deserve. They deserve it, but we do not give it to them. 
and that is the justice. We don't give that to them. Two more things. They're going to be short. Uh, Forgiveness is an inner condition. Now, this is important. It's not something that just happens in our head, but happens in our heart. Forgiveness needs to take place in our hearts. Otherwise, it's quite worthless. We see this in Matthew 12, verses 34. It says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When it's just a decision in your head to keep quiet and you haven't truly forgiven in your heart, it's like a balloon that's been blown up. Over time, bitterness will grow and grow and grow. And there will be a day when someone mentions that person's name, when someone says something about them, when someone does something, and you see them, and then all of a sudden it explodes and that bitterness comes running out. Bitterness needs to take place in the heart. And may I just say that when we do speak about people and that overflow does happen, and it has, (laughs) I confess yet, it has happened a lot in my life, is when I've done that, I have never, ever, ever come away better off than when I started. Bitterness has not shrunk down of letting it out and ripping into that person's name, but rather it has been like fuel added to a fire. It needs to take place in the heart and not just in our minds. And this is why reconciliation doesn't necessarily need to happen um, in order for forgiveness to happen. Because if it takes place in our hearts, even if Alyssa doesn't want to forgive me, if it takes place in my heart, victory can still happen because it's a heart thing, not a relationship thing all the time. Lastly, um, it's the absence of bitterness. Uh, Bitterness is an inward condition. It is the excessive desire for vengeance so that the other person uh, might be punished um, and it might show itself in a variety of different ways. Bitterness uh, rears its head in, in uh, depression, um, losing our temper, high blood pressure, irritability, sleeplessness, a constant negative perspective, and a variety of different things. But we know that we have overcome bitterness when, one, uh, we do not desire that that person um, gets punished. Two, that when we have the opportunity to speak, we don't. Oh, man. Three, when we actually get to a point where we don't necessarily want harm on them, but we wish them well. So that's what forgiveness is. Any more inspired than you were to forgive (laughs) than you were at the beginning? Probably a lot more challenging than we initially thought, right? So how in the world do we come to a place where we go, I can forgive. Well, I think firstly we need to realize that there are some biblical motives to forgive. There's some consequences to not forgiving. Because if we, if we don't know that, what's going to happen is we're never going to forgive. One, because forgiving is too difficult. But two, if we're really honest with ourselves this evening, we will admit that holding on to bitterness is something we really enjoy. Speaking badly about that person who has sinned against us actually gives us a bit of delight. And the convincing other people that they are bad is something that makes us a little joyful. So if you don't understand the motive behind forgiving, you're never going to forgive. If you don't understand the consequences to unforgiving, of unforgiveness, you're never, ever going to forgive. So let's look at a few of those. Well, the first one is when we decide to hold on to unforgiveness, what we do is we forfeit an authentic fellowship with the Father. We see this in the passage that we've read this evening, in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you uh, do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
And so here we see that, again, and I want to remind you here that this is a believer's prayer that we've prayed. Our Father, it is, there is a believer that prays that, not the unbeliever. We're not praying when we say, Lord, forgive us our debts that we might be forgiven as, as we have forgiven others. It's not saying, Lord, save our soul. That's what we're crying here. We see it even in the, in the double emphasis, Jesus' tenderness towards us to remind us that we are still a part of the family of God, even though we have unforgiveness in our hearts. You, do you notice in verses 14, he uses the word heavenly father. In the word, uh, in, chapter, in verse 15, he says father. There's a tenderness to God's instruction here. He's, saying, he's not saying that, man, if you have unforgiveness, he's going to kick you out of his family. He's going to cast you out. He's going to undo the adoption that has happened in Christ. He's, he's not saying that at all. But nonetheless, sin does not break our relationship with God, but it hinders it. Again, I'm sorry, love, I'm picking on you a lot this evening. Um, she's really not that bad. Um, she's great. I'm the bad one. Um, but say, okay, I sin against Alyssa. This is more realistic. When I mess up, um, there, while we are still married, she's still my wife and I'm still her husband, uh, the sin that has happened hinders that relationship, right? It's only when I seek forgiveness does that relationship be restored. We, we're still connected. We're still family. She's still my wife. I'm still her husband. Until that forgiveness has happened, there is a hindrance in here that needs to be dealt with. And it's the same with God. He's still our heavenly father. Oh, man, that's wonderful by Jesus. He's so clever when he does that. No surprise. Um, but he lets us know that he is still our father. But the hindrance is there. And so when we decide as his children, to hold on to unforgiveness in our hearts, we are saying, Lord, it is far better that I hold on to this. It is, this is more joy. This is, this is what satisfies me. This is what I want, rather than enjoying the fullness that comes with having a great relationship and an unhindered relationship with you. We forfeit the joy, we forfeit the peace, we forfeit the love, we forfeit the, the, the presence of the intimate relationship with God in holding on to unforgiveness. And may I say that there might be some of you here this evening who are struggling with your relationship with God. You, you read in your Bibles. You praying, you worshiping, you listening to sermons, many sermons, and yet there's this dryness and there's this lack of intimacy. Now, not in every case, but in a lot of the cases, you'll probably find it is because you're holding unforgiveness in your heart. And the promise is that if you deal with that, there will be this intimate closeness that God will remove your sin from you and you will be able to know that intimate, authentic fellowship with him again. Man, the consequence is great, but the blessing of getting rid of it is even greater. Let's look at the second uh, consequence and more motivation. Let's see it as that. It's, it's that the Holy Spirit is grieved. We see this in Ephesians 4, verses 30 and 32. It says, it says as Paul writing to the church of Ephesus says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now he goes and tells us how we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with, uh, from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, here it is, forgiving one another as, as God in Christ forgave you. 
So Paul is saying, God, this most precious gift that you have, the most precious gift that we have is, uh, from God is his very spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit, who is in us, who guides us, who leads us, who gives us the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those are in us as he leads and guides and teaches us by his grace. And he's saying, God, that. Don't let bitterness and unforgiveness strip that away from you. The imagery that's used in scripture about the Holy Spirit is that of a dove. Um, and doves are super sensitive. I have a, a son, my son and I, um, we, he loves, what he, he's only 18 months old, so he doesn't speak much. But what he does is he says, daddy or dada, bird chase. And that is when we see birds, we have to go and chase them. That's a fun game that we do. And he laughs hysterically as we chase birds down the garden. Me going, wah, 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 running like a, I look ridiculous. But he enjoys it. And doves are incredibly sensitive to noise. You just have to clap or start to make a movement and they flutter away. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. As that noisiness of unforgiveness and anger and malice and slander that's raging in our hearts, the Holy Spirit as a dove flutters off. Not away, but takes a step back. And when we have unforgiveness, we forfeit. We give up the, the... the, an ungrieved Holy Spirit guiding and leading us. For example, when I prepare sermons, there are moments when I'm sitting down and I am, I just, I'm battling. I'm battling and I'm struggling to get it through. I'm battling to remember what I've written down. It's making no sense. And I feel like sometimes the Holy Spirit comes and taps me on the shoulder and goes, Joe, you are because you crossed with Alyssa. Or you said that nasty thing. Or you acted like this. Go deal with it. Oh, but Lord, it wasn't me. And most of the time it is me. And the Lord goes, no, go deal with it. Put my tail between my legs. Go to my wife and say I'm sorry. Give her a hug and a kiss. Go sit down and it's like the Spirit has come back. And suddenly I'm able to remember what I couldn't before. Oh man, well, how, how sad it is when we go through life. Doing our work, whatever you do. With a, with a grieved spirit the grieved Holy Spirit. Man, but it's so much better to have all that we do by the power of this Holy Spirit. The next, the next consequence or, or motivation that we have is that when we hold on to unforgiveness, we are left by us to ourselves. Now, what I mean by that is not that God forsakes us or leaves us. We, scripture is clear that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. But what I mean by that is that um, when we hold on to unforgiveness and go, this is my will, I will not let it go. This is how I will live my life. This is what I'm going to hold on to. Then God goes, all right, how about the rest of your life as well? Live it in your own will. Live it in your own desires. He leaves us to our own devices to go the way we want to. And when that happens, we open up the door to masses amount of other sins. It is not uncommon if you hold on to unforgiveness that months down the line you'll be doing other sins that you thought you would never do. It is not uncommon for a married person who has unforgiveness towards their spouse months down the line committing adultery. And it all started when we hold on to this and refused to forgive. We open the door up to the rest of sin. God goes, live your life and see how it goes. 
And we end up doing all kinds of things with money, sex, and, integri and integrity are gone out the window because it all begins with bitterness. Lastly, uh, on the motivations, and then we'll look at the how, is that we see that you lose your anointing potential. When you hold on to unforgiveness, you lose your anointing potential. It's like God removes his anointing from you. If you are involved in ministry, he just takes that away. You, you're like an empty shell. Man, he, it's not, uh, he's not taking away your gifts. It seems like in Romans 10 verse 29, that spiritual uh, gifts are irrevocable, and God doesn't take those away, but he takes away the power behind them. And sometimes when we hold on to unforgiveness, it doesn't necessarily happen immediately because there's this momentum of this anointing that is taking place. But down the line we just find that it's gone, and we wonder why. It's because of the unforgiveness in our hearts. It's kind of like a tree that's fallen over. When it first falls over, it doesn't wither and die instantly. It's still green. There's still leaves. But let it have been fallen over some time, it withers and it dies. And it's very similar with us as well. And we give up so much of our purpose and so much of what we have that God has planned for us because of this unforgiveness. Now, may I just say in closing on this point or this understanding of motivation, man, there is such blessing in forgiving. Do not let those people who have hurt you who have sinned against you greatly, rob you of this as well. They've, they, haven't they done enough? Haven't they hurt you enough? Haven't they taken away from you enough? Why would you allow them to live rent-free in your hearts and at the same time rob you of all the joy that God has for you? Don't let it happen. <laughs> Don't. But it's easier said than done right. So how do we get to a point that we are able to do this? The, the answer is actually quite simple. The answer is that we need to come to the cross because this is important for us. And I don't want you to switch off. I'm gonna, I, and we're nearly done. We've got another five minutes and we're done here. But we have to come to the cross because what do we notice at the cross? We notice that there's this holy God who, who's constantly praised with his holiness. That's how holy he is. Angels say it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of mine. It's not three times for any other reason than to express the perfectness of his holiness. He is that holy. And yet this holy, holy, holy God would look upon us as rebellion speck of dust in this massive universe who has shaken his, our fists at him, who have sinned against him greatly, and yet he would look upon us with an agape love unconditional, irrevocable love and send his son Jesus to come and die so that we might experience forgiveness. You will never, ever forgive totally if you do not understand the magnitude that you have been forgiven. You will never, ever forgive if you do not grasp that you have been forgiven so much more by this incredibly holy God as you have sinned against him as his little creation. Until you understand the magnitude of what God has done for you, you will not forgive. You just won't. And, and the thing is, believers, what happens is we often forget that. We sing about it, and that reminds us, but we need to fix our eyes on it. We need to be intentional about it. We need to remind ourselves that we have been forgiven so much. And as a result, then comes the strong will of, Lord, okay, maybe I can do it. But even then, may I suggest to you that it's still going to be a struggle. This whole, whole talk has been about a struggle. It's still going to be a struggle. So what do we do? 
Man, we, we keep running to the cross. We see this, or running to Christ. We see this in Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. This verse talking about Jesus says, For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let me explain that quickly before we carry on. That here is Christ who's lived as a God-man who has been tempted just like we are in every respect. So if we just take that scripture, it doesn't necessarily say it, but it's suggested that means every temptation that we have, he has been tempted. Does that make sense? So that must mean he has been tempted not to forgive. That he has been, I mean, you just read the gospels, you will see he has sinned against greatly. But yet, Christ, who has been tempted not to forgive, still chooses to forgive. And so, this is this guy that understands our struggle, but yet understands how to overcome it. And so, the scripture goes on to say, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We are to come to him who knows how to forgive, who has forgiven totally, who has forgiven perfectly, who forgives and casts away as far as the east is from the west. We are to come to that man. We are to come to Christ who was dying on the cross and those very people that murdered him and were mocking uh, mocking him and were gambling with his clothes in front of him as he died and bore their sins, Christ would still say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the man we ought to come to is the one who was our very sacrifice for our sins himself so that we might be forgiven. My friends, you will not be able to forgive in your own strength. You have to come to Christ. You have to cling on to him. The sins are far too great. The the unforgiveness is far too strong for you. But Christ in his strength will give you help in your time of need. You have to come to Jesus. And, And this is going to be tough. But with him, we are able to do it. My closing comment is this. Is that this has to be a daily thing. This whole Lord's Prayer has been a prayer that has been done daily. And forgiveness is a decision that we need to make daily. Now, the small little sins, it might be for a few days and you can give up. If someone calls you fat... It might be for one day, maybe seven, depending on how sensitive you are about your body. You might need to forgive them. But there surely will be a point where that no longer is in your heart anymore, or at least I would hope so. But for the sins that are incredibly great and have affected our lives and our family in unspeakable ways, it's going to be a decision that you have to make by your own will every single day. The moment you wake up, You're going to have to choose, I will forgive. And you're going to cling to God and say, Lord, I can't. I need your help. Help me to forgive. And you will fail. You will speak and blab. You will do it wrong. You will wish harm on them. But you need to come back again and ask God to help you to forgive. And you have to do so daily. And by the grace of God, while it might be tough in the beginning, in years to come, it might be easier. As you pray for them, as we pray for our enemies, maybe then, maybe then, but it will be a daily thing. If you forget it, if you do not do that, 
Business will grow, a seed will grow, and it will get bigger and better and bigger. You have to do it daily. And in coming to Christ and clinging to his cross and asking him for help, that's the place where you find your strength. That's when this will be achieved, nowhere else.